looking at code switching really for what it is. Language is a tool, not a measure of intelligence. And switching codes is based on needs, based on requirements. You're listening to The Swedish Podcast, hosted by Jill Leckie and Kat Trigarski in conversations about the paradox of life between two cultures. We're talking about code switching this week, and um, it's not something that I was particularly knowledgeable about until that was I met the fabulous Opal Kutz. She's a very experienced middle school teacher with a psychology degree. We wanted to invite her onto the podcast to share some of her insight and experience with the realities of code switching and what it does, what it means for one's cultural identity. So, Opal, tell us a little bit about you. What is your origin story? So, my name's Opal Kood. I was born and raised in Jamaica. I received most of my education in Jamaica. Um, At the age of 19, I had finished my teacher training already. I started teaching almost immediately after finishing teacher training college. I worked in Jamaica for 10 years. During this time, I worked at private schools. I worked at public schools. I worked at an international school. And while I was working full-time, I also read for a bachelor's degree in psychology part-time. Then I moved to the U.S., to North Carolina, where I taught in elementary school. And after teaching there, I moved here day after Christmas 2018. And since I've been here with sweet, learning Swedish as a foreign language, integrating into the society, getting all documentations and everything, but I am also job hunting. So if there's anybody out there who can offer me a job. <laughs> so you're looking for a teaching job in Sweden? Yes, I'm looking for a teaching job. Whereabouts in Sweden do you live? I live just north of Sundsvall. So I live in Western Norland. Um, and you got in touch with me via Instagram because I posed the question to my Instagram people. I don't like using the word follow. Asking them if anybody knew about code switching Mm. because I became interested in it after, well, you know, my, my daughter is, she is Swedish. She identifies as being Swedish, but we're uh, um, uh, a mixed family so I'm from Scotland my husband my Sambo is Swedish she Stella was born in Sweden so she technically mm. is Swedish yeah um but what we've noticed is that she started using different language not just speaking different languages but different styles of language when she speaks to me and when she speaks to Matthias Mm-hmm. And it's just something that I became more, you know, as a parent, you become more and more interested in how your child's developing and so on. And and the thing that um, I, I came across, I started reading about was code switching. Mm-hmm. And it also coincided with this strange kind of pop culture incident that happened um, uh, uh, with Hillary Baldwin. I can't <laughs> Where she um, she kind of got herself into a little bit of bother um, because she got a bit confused about her cultural identity. And I'm not going to say, you know, she, she wasn't wrong. There was nothing there that was wrong about it. It's just that, you know, I think if you are somebody who has many different cultural identities, it can sometimes be a bit confusing as to, you know, where do I come from? You know, what? Who or, or, or and where do I identify with? So, anyway, to give anybody a background story as to what happened, there is a story that was circulating the internet about the fact that Hillary Baldwin Baldwin couldn't remember the English this is it the English word for cucumber? Mm. Um, and then it then I mean, of course, is in the worst in the worst way that the internet can be all of this stuff got dragged up out of nowhere about how she had it became a sensational story yeah exactly exactly and you know it, all this stuff about her saying that she was spanish but she was actually you know born in Amer- america and oh, 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 oh it was just awful 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 <laughs> anyway so 
then you got directly in touch with me via Instagram and you just have so much knowledge about this subject, which is why I wanted to invite you to talk about this because you're far more qualified to talk about it than either Kat or I are. Um, and I think it's a genuinely really, for, for parents and for families who are, you know, s straddling those multicultural worlds, mm -hmm. it's, it's a really important thing to talk about it. And people in my position, you know, like white English speaking British Scottish individuals, it's not something that we talk about or we know about or we learn about because we don't have to. You don't We're in have the privilege to. of where we don't have exactly no, but um, the reason you don't have to is because you probably have not moved around a lot or you don't have that interesting little history of being colonized by any European country, and I say European because those are the countries that did the colonization, yeah. So, in countries in the Caribbean, America. Um, in countries over in Africa, you'll find that code switching is more prevalent in those regions. It's more prevalent among kids and, and adults, everybody in that region. Even if they don't know that this is what it's called, mm. even they, if they don't know that this is what they're doing, because of this whole official language and our mother tongue or, or dialect, there exists some code switching rules and code switching patterns in all of these countries. And not only that, with multilingual individuals, even if it's a multilingual person of European languages, there exists a certain degree of code switching with that as well. Because if three people are having a conversation and two of those people speak Spanish, and another person speaking speaks Italian. And one of the person who speaks Spanish also speaks Italian. Those three people could be having one conversation about the same topic, but that conversation could be taking place in both Spanish and Italian mm. because there's a certain switch that takes place on account of relatability, on account of getting the point across more effectively mm. on account of their socialization, on account of maybe their cultural background. Yeah. So, in and maybe that's what you're experiencing with your daughter as well. And if I were to take a guess, I would imagine that with you or with your side of the family, she speaks English. Mm. But with her dad and her dad's side of the family, she would speak Swedish. Mm. So in her brain, she has made the distinction without even realizing it, that this goes with these people mm. and this goes with that, those people. And you're saying that sometimes it's not even just about switching languages. Yeah. But maybe within the same languages, she speaks differently to different people. Yeah. If we look sometimes at the English language, which is one of the most widely spoken languages across the world, yeah. but the English language that is spoken across the world is not all the same. Yeah. When you look at the American versus the British English. Mm. So you'll be talking to somebody and you'll use a different word for a trash can. In the US, it's called a trash can. It's in the... in. UK, it's called a rubbish bin. Yeah. Code switching, things like that, because the code rules are different. The lexicon is different. Mm -hmm. That is why some of those things happen. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. in if you could, this might be really hard to do because I know it's, a, it's such a broad subject. If, mm -hmm. what is code switching? Um, you see, when you hear about code switching, people normally only think about the linguistic part of it, but it's very complex. So like the, the academic definition of it would be that it's a linguistic term that refers to using more than one language or even a dialect um, in a conversation like I explained before. Mm -hmm. It means that like the example I gave, bilinguals, polyglots, multilingual individuals, they can switch at will. They can be speaking one sentence, 
and speak two different languages in mm -hmm. that one sentence or two different dialects in that one sentence to convey their message. But it also has a cultural and social aspect to it as well. In my experience, for example, growing up in Jamaica, we have our official language, English, but we have our language that we speak that is called Patro. And there are really three tiers to the languages that we speak, and that's on account of our cultural history. So with the slave trade and so on, there's an amalgamation of all the language, the languages that we were exposed to. Then when the different colonial powers took over, the languages changed mm. and then some of it was retained. And then with the last colonial rulers that we had being UK, we now speak English. So the top tier, as we would call it, sounds a lot like British English. Then there's the standard Jamaican English where all the grammar rules are co correct, but there is this accent. It's tinged with this accent. And then there's the raw patwa, which is the Jamaican Creole. And you can switch up and down those three tiers in the, in the dialect. But then in the multilingual um, case, you can have, like your daughter, will switch between Spanish and Swedish at will without even realizing it. Yeah. It depends on the culture, her English side of her culture, her Swedish side of her culture, what she needs to communicate, mm. how she needs to communicate, who she's communicating with, mm. you know? So the motivation for the change is affected by the culture, her cultural identity, mm -hmm. her social surroundings, and the lexical need, if you get what I'm saying. Oh, it, it totally, absolutely makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So I hope I answered the question effectively, like yeah. letting you know this is what it is. It's not so cut and dry. There's a lot to take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I have so many questions. So, um, Kat, do you want to do you want to start off with the questions that you've got? Because <laughs> there's just like so many questions I have. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the whole um, code switching that, that it can go both directions sort of up mm -hmm. and down. That I thought was was fascinating. The direction in which it goes, like I said, depends on your motivation, your reason for why you want to code switch. Because if you're going to a job interview, you're going to go and use the official language. But if you want to build solidarity, if you want to build relationships, you're going to maybe go down with the code, the, the codes to be a little bit more relaxed. And this is this is very common in political atmospheres. Mm. And when politicians go out and they're campaigning, if you pay very close attention to them, you'll mm. see that they interact differently with different groups of people. Yeah. However, <clears throat> when they're interacting and they they code switch downwards they're seen as being down to earth. Mm. But if a person who comes from a less prestigious background code switches upwards, they're sometimes criticized for pretending to be bougie <laughs> or thinking that they've arrived, especially if other people who grew up with them are in the same circle and witness this happening, not realizing that this is code switching taking place and not realizing that there's a certain atmosphere that exists, there's a certain group that I'm presenting myself to, and therefore this is my motivation for code switching. Mm. So there's some kind of double standard mm -hmm. when it comes to code switching as well. Do you think that's a result of of today's social climate, that kind of double standard? In my experience, I think it's more than just the social climate. It can be ethnically motivated as well, mm -hmm. because um, there's this thing going around on social media that says, 
Name something that is classy if you're rich, but trashy if you're poor. Mm-hmm. So it's classy if you're rich to be multilingual and have the ability to code switch. But it's trashy, especially in the case of immigrants, if you come in and you're speaking the, the language of your country, if you're code switching up and down, and people hear that, they will tell you, go back to your country. This is America. This is wherever. This is, speak the language of the country you are in. Yeah. Even when no one's talking to them. Yeah. So it has this elitist vibe about it. There's the ethnic prejudices that go with it as well. And people need to realize that language is a tool really. Mm. And tools can be used in any way people see it fit for whatever purpose they see it fit, depending on the situation that that they're presented with. And that for me is what I am really interested in about this paradox of, you know, it's all right if some people are multilingual, multicultural, but it's not for others. No. And, And I think on this podcast, we talk a lot about we're fed one version of immigration by the mainstream media how you know and it's usually male normative there's usually ethnicity involved there's usually you know the the line of people are coming to steal our jobs people are putting a strain on the welfare system that kind of thing like that Mm -hmm. but these people are also bringing an enormous toolbox of incredible experience, perspectives, and just, you know, a huge amount of color and vibrancy. I almost feel like, you know, using the example of code switching in this way is the perfect metaphor for that. Code switching is not only linguistic. So because it's not only linguistic, it can apply in many situations where where there's a cultural aspect. Mm where there's a social aspect. Mm -hmm. And immigration is one of the biggest areas where you will see culture and social um, nuances taking place. And it's one of the communities where code switching is most prevalent. Um, Think about a classroom, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to use the context of my classroom in the US. In the classroom, all of my students were not born and raised in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I had children from many parts of the world in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And even within the group of kids who were born in the U.S., there were subgroups. Mm -hmm. And being a teacher in that position, you have to know how to navigate and guide the kids to navigate up and down and across the board with their code switching and be welcoming, be understanding, be open to the kids. Oftentimes, the only interest they show in the language or in any code switching that is taking place with a foreign individual is to mock them or make fun of the way they speak Mm. when they're speaking English or make fun of them when they're speaking their own language, Mm -hmm. or to say that you're talking about me because you're speaking your own language. Why can't you speak in the language? So there's a level of insecurity as well, right? And you have to teach these kids at a young age how to appreciate those things, how to learn from those things, and not just say to them, oh, say this in Jamaican, and treat the code switching as I want to say a performance of their language and their culture Mm. because it's not a performance piece in my personal experience people would um, would come up to me and say say something in Jamaican and I have to respond to them saying you know what my language my culture my expressions they're not a performance piece if you have a genuine interest in the historical context of why we speak the way we do, we can have a conversation. If you have 
I genuinely need to understand who I am as a person when I'm speaking, when I'm gesticulating, when I'm making my facial expression, when I'm using certain terms or phrases, then we can have a conversation. But don't only show interest in my language and my code switching capabilities in my culture when you want me to perform it for you. And I don't think a lot of people realize how disrespectful it is mm. to be asked. This might be extreme, but it's almost like asking me to perform or no different than people performing in a minstrel show. Yeah. Because after you've said something to them, then they repeat it mockingly for shits and giggles. Can I say that? Yeah, you can. It's okay. okay. <laughs> we can swear. We can swear on this. <laughs> you know, so notice it. Um, when you say something, especially in sitting with people from countries who have a colonial past, people will say to them, will say this. And when you say this, that, then they start to mock your accent. So it's not an interest. And for, for, for all of us, there's a dark, painful residual history behind it. You understand? It's dark and painful. You came and colonized us, <clears throat> forced us to learn your language. We learned it the best we could without any formal education. And now you're mocking us for it. Mm. Yeah. That is what is happening. When you say, tell us to say something and then you're laughing, that you're mocking our history, you're mocking our pain, you're mocking the journey it took for us to get where we are. And I'm sure when, I'm sure when you thought about doing this, you didn't expect all of this to come out of it. <laughs> that's what it's for. Yeah, but it, that's what I'm telling you. It's, it's deep, it's multifaceted. Mm. How do you see this taking place in Sweden? Like, what's the... I feel like I'm about to open a can of worms here. Disclaimer. This is for educational purposes. <laughs> in, the, in the Swedish context, it's more multifaceted than even in the American context or even in the Jamaican context because Sweden is a multilingual country, right? And... They speak English as well as they speak their own native language. That's number one. Mm. But even though they speak English as well as they speak their own native language, which has its own set of code switching rules, and then they have the Swedish language, their own language, which has its own set of code switching rules. With the English language, there are, are tears to that as well because you have the British English, which is what is taught in schools, that is most acceptable. Then you have the American English language that is acceptable, but not preferred because Americans are seen as bold and loud and brash. And that is not the Swedish way of existence. They're very lagom and yantelag and all of that. So, even though the American English is clear and understandable to the Swedish ears, the cultural aspect of it, the social aspect of it, when it's presented, because it's loud, it's colorful, it's bold, it's not so much appreciated. Then there's the other English language accents, like from South Africa, New Zealand, New Zealand, all those other countries. And then at the bottom, of that tier is English speakers with an African accent hmm. that is not so desired. So if you speak English in Sweden with an African accent, it's not really welcomed. However, if you look the way I look and you speak English very well, then people look at you with shock and awe and then they tell you, oh, you speak English so well, where are you from? And they think that it's a compliment. It's, it's not a compliment. Because if I'm standing in a room with you, somebody who looks like you, and we're both speaking the same level of English, you 
will not be asked how you speak English so well and where you're from mm. because that's expected. But looking at me coming out of this vessel, it's, it's surprising. They look at you in awe. And I would like to know, why is that? Why is that? I remember I applied for a job and the individual called me when I was speaking to the, the person on the phone. And when I finished speaking to the person, the remark the person made was, when I saw that you were from Jamaica and most of your education was acquired in Jamaica, I didn't expect you to speak English so well. But speaking to you now, I realized that you speak English very well. Plus, you lived in the U.S., so that's good, too. Ouch. No, imagine being on the receiving end of that. It makes you wonder, how many other places did I apply to who had this thought and just put my application to the side? How many other individuals, Mm. maybe from the African continent, somewhere else in the Caribbean, somewhere outside of the accepted level of English language and accent that they desire they've come across and they put it to the side because of this thought. So there's the elitism, the ethnic prejudices, the cultural prejudices, and the social prejudices when it comes to language and code switching. Yeah. I I I I, oh, I don't really know what even to say to that. <laughs> I just... You will not be able to respond to something like that because that, that is not something that you've ever had to think about. That's not something that you've ever had to prepare yourself to deal with or respond to. No. But me and people like me, we have to be in a state of hypervigilance. We have to be dotting our I's, crossing our T's, be careful how we present ourselves be extra careful in our enunciation of our words, in the gestures that we use, our facial expression, because all of those things are paid attention to more than somebody who looks like you. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the the example of the job hunting, Mm -hmm. because, you know, one of the things um, in my previous life as the community developer at Little Bear Broad, the thing that we I, that I heard most, especially from women arriving in Sweden, was that they were constantly made to feel like their background was an impediment to getting a foot on the ladder. Um, Sweden has long held itself as this homogenous country. Because they view themselves as being homogenous, (laughs) you're treated as other. You're treated as, oh, there's going to be culture clashes. Oh, you're not going to assimilate well. Oh, you're not going to do this. Well, how will you know if you're just making the assumptions, you're not giving them the chance? What I've come to, I used, as I mentioned before, I used to work at this international school in Jamaica. And Sometimes by the kids are 12 and finish elementary school, they've lived in four or five different countries. In cases like those, you'll find that they are very adaptable. They are very flexible. They are capable of um, assimilating and integrating very well. It's the same with immigrants. They know that they're leaving their country we are aware that things are going to be different. And if anything, with our colonial past, adaptability is by default ingrained, dare I say, in us. Because we were forced to adapt, forced to assimilate, forced to learn different languages, forced to act a certain way, forced to adapt the culture of our colonizers. So we have that on our side. So treating us as other is to the detriment of your own country, your own company. 
we have the unique ability to offer an other perspective as well. We're living in a global society. And because of this, having people who are able to code switch is a plus. And then when they treat us as other, they deny us opportunities. We are then told we're not trying to assimilate. You're not trying to get jobs. You're not trying to learn. And after coming all this way, preparing ourselves for what it's going to take to function after arrival, they're closing the doors on us and then blaming us for not walking through the door. It's, it's really difficult and it doesn't affect all immigrants the same way. I 110% know that as a white immigrant in Sweden, I benefit from the embedded racism that still holds fast within organizations and institution, institutions in Sweden. Because I know that when I first moved here and was doing all the bureaucratic paperwork that you have to do in order to become whoever you are in Sweden, I didn't face nearly the same issues that I know friends of mine had. Having a conversation with, you know, somebody at Skatteverke, whereas I know people who don't look like me, who went and had the same conversations with Skatteverke or Fischekniskassen, were, were denied. They were point blankly denied the opportunity to make adjustments to their paperwork. Remember too, um, my son was going to middle school. And I had some issues with the school and I sent emails, I made phone calls, I asked questions and I was getting the runaround. I got fed up and I went down there and I told the principal, I'm here to have a meeting with you. I went to the meeting and I started asking questions and the principal, his question to me was, well, where, where are you from and what is your level of education and what kind of work did you do before you came here? I had to compose myself because as a black woman, no matter what is happening, you can't respond as if you're upset because then you get the angry black woman trope label slapped across your face. So... Being a teacher and having to deal with difficult parents over the years, <laughs> I learned how to quickly <laughs> snap out of it, get out of myself and answer his question. So I answered his question. I said to, me, uh, to, to him, you know, I've been a teacher for X amount of years. This is my level of qualification. This is my teaching background. I've taught kids from all over the world. I've taught kids from Iceland, from Austria. I've taught kids from every continent except maybe Australia. And I don't think he was expecting that answer. And then he sat up in his chair. The principal's response was, oh, maybe I can give you a job then. And it was forgotten the moment I stepped out of his office that he offered me a job. Because it was a case of, Oh, if she needs a job, I can offer a job and then maybe she'll back off a little bit. Mm. You know, so it's things like this that we encounter. I even showed him a video of a student from the school on YouTube who was talking about her experience in the school. And her words were, my school mm. is so racist. And I showed it to him and I said, look at this. She didn't say, I had this racist encounter with another student or some racist incidents have taken place that I have experienced. My school is so racist. And it all goes back to the cold switching and the social codes and the cultural codes and Sweden yeah. thinking that it's a homogenous society. And if you look a particular way, you're an expat and, and you're acceptable. But if you come from a particular social background or speak a particular language, you are an immigrant and 
take what we give you. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I know it's, it's unbelievable hearing this. Isn't well, it? no, it's not. That's the thing. It's not unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, the, the language is so coded around yeah. around expat versus immigrant that it can be used in so such different ways. And it's not surprising. It's disappointing. Your experiences have been told to me by dozens of other people because racism is baked into Swedish institutions, Swedish policy. Uh, like the immigration policy in Sweden is just appalling. I mean, it's archaic. You look at the you know global move- movement today, and then you look at Swedish migration policy, and it's so out of line with with how the twenty first century works and people mm-hmm. move between borders. So it's not it's not unbelievable to hear. It's just really sad that you have to go through that. And and I'm not sitting here saying that. A hundred percent of Sweden is this way, but there are people who have this belief and you have to let it be known that I understand what my value is. I understand what I have to offer. I understand that I'm not only just going to exist in the space, I'm going to occupy it. You have to, to let them know that I am going to be unapologetically me and me I who I am is a part of the Swedish culture that has been packed onto the blocks of my home culture or wherever else I lived in the world before I came here and I can switch up or down on that spectrum, on that code switching spectrum, linguistically, socially, and culturally, as I see fit. With Sweden becoming a place of immigrants and foreigners from farther and farther away, not from just Norway or Denmark, you have to understand how to live amongst each other how to recognize these language codes, how to recognize these cultural codes, how to recognize these social codes. It shouldn't go one way. It shouldn't be a case of the immigrants only seeking to assimilate Mm. and integrate and shed Mm. everything else that they were before they came here. They should be able to build on who they are. And like I said, switch up and down the spectrum as the need arises. I was going to ask, do you think Sweden will ever move away from its homogenous way of thinking? Homogenousness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's homogenousness, homogenous way of thinking. uh, And even how can it, how can it move away? Um, to be honest, I think Sweden understands that it's not homogenous, but certain things are only applicable to certain people. I think so. Because if they're interacting with somebody like you, who've lived here for however long you've lived here, you don't have the same experiences as me. And you are able to go you are able to, to, to live in Sweden, but somebody like me, have, we, I have a different experience. So it's not that they don't accept that it's not homogenous society. I think they know it's not homogenous, but it's just a case of who it's applicable to. Yeah, one of my SFE teachers told me people didn't start moving here in 2015 you know which is when the largest wave of the immigrants came in she said it didn't start there people have always been moving here we're in the european union we have free movement so people have always been moving here and when she said that to me it took me a minute to sit and said you know she's right the european union has free movement so they've always had foreigners and immigrants coming in to Sweden. It's just now that these foreigners and these immigrants are coming from farther away. That seems to be the issue. 
So, like I said, it's not a case of them not knowing that they're not homogenous. Mm. It's a case of them having different sets of rules for different sets of people. How, how, you know, how, how do we change that? Here's the thing. There is no pathway open, like you said. There's no roadmap. There's no guide because we've not walked this path before. It may take us 50 more years to get where we, are, where we want to go, but we are going to get there. So it just takes time. And it starts with conversations like this. Yeah. It starts with educating yourself. It starts with looking at code switching really for what it is. Language is a tool, not a measure of intelligence. Mm -hmm. And switching codes is based on needs, based on requirements. Yeah. And if you look at it too, um, from a relation from a relationship building standpoint where code switching is concerned, um, you don't use the same language, social or cultural codes with your sambo that you use with your daughter mm -hmm. or that you may use with your neighbor or that you may use with your friend. And in any given day, your code will switch based on need. And like you said, it started out by seeing how your daughter is switching codes. She has learned it without even learning what it's called. She has compartmentalized that this group over here, they eat this way. They speak this way, they act this way, they move their hands this way when they speak. The vocabulary they use compared to the vocabulary of somebody else who speaks English is, is this for this object or is that for this object? And she has picked up on that. She has coded that. I'm gonna tell you a story, my friend, um, She's married to a Swedish gentleman and she has boys, two boys. As I said, we speak English in Jamaica, but we speak our Pato as well. Um, her second child, when he was younger, would not speak English and would not speak to anyone who spoke English. And she couldn't figure out why. And in our culture, if an adult is talking to you and you're not responding, you're considered being disrespectful. And she was having some trouble with that, only to find out years later when her child told her that mommy only speaks English when she's angry. Oh, my God. So he's associated English with anger. Wow. So if somebody approaches him speaking English, he has input, he has encoded and decoded that this person is angry at me. Wow. And you will find that with anyone, when they want to express certain levels of emotion, even if they start out with, in this case, Swedish, as emotions rise, the cold begins to switch. Mm. He has outgrown that now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, that was my next question. He's still scared of speaking English. <laughs> he has outgrown that now. I'll tell you, um, they went to school in Jamaica for a short time. And when she brought him to school on his first day, the teacher pulled her and said, you told me he doesn't speak English. He speaks English. He spoke to everyone in here and he played. And that was, it was at that point he was, it was beginning to make sense with him by hearing the other kids speak English that we're not angry, we are playing. Yeah, yeah. It was at that point that he made the connection and when he was able to say, you only speak English when you're angry. So there's the psychological implications of code switching. It, it's really amazing. It's fascinating. It's totally fascinating. Opal, I... Can I just, I have one last question that I want to ask before we wrap it up. That's okay. I'm enjoying being here. <laughs> the, 
the immigrant population in Sweden is 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 growing. It's 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 never going to stop growing. It's always going to be um, people are always going to be coming here, and 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 subsequently to that, the second generation immigrant population are are, are going to be growing and growing. So what can we do as individuals, as parents of second generation immigrants, as, you know, um, people who engage with their children's school, with, you know, community groups, community organizations, what can we do as individuals to make sure that this new generation are being fully allowed to embrace their cultural identities? Um, we have to start with training the staff in the schools, mm-hmm. training them to recognize and training them to encourage kids to be all of who they are and employing people who have lived the experience, who are educated in the field, who have broad-reaching knowledge and experience of how to engage with kids who are third culture kids because you can't engage with a kid who has a Swedish mom and an English dad or an American dad the same way you engage with a child who has two Swedish parents. In my case when I taught in the international school I was teaching children who never lived in the country in which they were born. Mm. The first language they encountered was not the language of the country in which they were born, it was the language of the country where their parents worked. Think about military kids. So you have to give people like me an opportunity to be in the classroom who has the experience both firsthand and from an academic standpoint to be able to deal with this situation. You have to educate your staff. And that is where it starts. If we accept those truths, if we um, encourage kids not to stifle a part of themselves for the purpose of acceptance, then we'll be headed in the right direction. If we do not do those things, then we're making room for elitism. We're making room for social prejudices we're making room for ethnic racial and cultural Mm -hmm. prejudices and we've Mm -hmm. seen in other parts of the world what can happen what it can lead to the threats of something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. and right now things like those exist in its infancy Mm -hmm. and if we can put a stop to it now then the future is right. Mm. I think part of the cogwheel turning moment there was that um, I uh, am acutely aware of the very thin line that Sweden is walking right now um, regarding the tipping point between being fairly centre-left and sliding very quickly down towards being very right and it scares me to think that in the future we could be living in a place that has a right-wing government and that uses a lot of the values that currently that Sweden lives with which those of homogeny those of you know we're, we should all be the same and you know everyone should do the same thing and say the same thing and those kind of values i they're going to use those values against all the other people i i'm still learning about the political landscape of sweden like i said uh, i only moved here two years ago u.s whether people like to admit it or not is a very influential country. And the political landscape in the US affects the political landscape across the world. So like you said, with Sweden becoming more international, um, the younger generation has greater access to the outside world. 
based on what they're seeing from the comfort of their home. Then these kids grow up and they become doctors. They become lawyers. They become policymakers. They become the teachers who teach your kids. We have to pay very close attention to what the kids are consuming now because they're incoming. It just boils down to, to guidance and education and having conversations like these and providing opportunities for people, for kids and individuals being open to learning and accepting that language is a tool, not a measure of intelligence. It's totally fascinating. It's totally fascinating. Um, I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but I'm completely conscious of the time that we've now been speaking about this for <laughs> 90 minutes or so. <laughs> Last track of time. Um, Opal, can you come back on the podcast another time and we can continue this conversation? It would Absolutely. be so... It, I, I love the energy it's here. fantastic. I love the atmosphere here. I'd be really um and i i because I, I have so many more questions especially about sweden as it becomes more and more international so um yeah let's i just thank you so much for today's conversation and for this episode of the podcast it's been wonderful um kat do you have anything you want to add no just that i'm very excited about opal coming back and uh, we can yeah. keep going with this because i also have a lot more questions i just want to wrap up by saying too that i really enjoyed this little talk um i enjoyed the the direction in which the conversation went your openness to listen and understand and the opportunity the platform to let the wider society know really what is going on when they see code switching taking place it's not a protest against assimilation or integration it's just one of the aspects of who we are. Thanks for listening to the Swedish podcast, brought to you by Kat and Jill and our wonderful sound editor, Cecil. If you have a moment, it would be great if you could rate the podcast and share it. It just means that people would find us a little bit easier when they're looking for us on our download streams. You can find us on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Podcasts. Thank you.